Well, hey there, freaks. Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty here to introduce this week's sponsor before we get on to the incredible interview with Alex Legal. I think you freaks are really going to enjoy it. But first, you already know, the Cash App is the number one finance app in the App Store. What you freaks already know if you've been listening to this podcast for a while uh, is that you can also put the Cash App in your wallet with the Cash Card. If you're relatively new to this podcast, you're welcome for telling you about this fact. I've been a very happy Cash Card user for the last several months. Uh, and this is because it's the only debit card that offers instant rewards and comes packed with premium features not even credit cards can offer. All right, These boost program that they have. $1 off coffee every day. I don't think you should be buying coffee every day. All right, Let's get frugal here. We should be making coffee at home. But hey, you may not have time. You may not have the time to make coffee. And if you don't, uh, I highly recommend getting the cash card and initiating the $1 off coffee boost just to save some money every day. On top of this boost, there's 10% off Whole Foods, Chipotle, Shake Shack, Domino's. They're adding more retailers every week. It's insanity, freaks. The cash card puts you in control of your money with extra in-app safety features that let you pause your card with a touch. You fall in love with the bar. You you become uh, swooned and swept off your feet by a guy or go- guy or girl at the bar, and uh, you're so enthralled with this person that you forget your wallet at the bar. Hey, you're in the Uber on the way back to drinks after after the first bar. You could toggle it off, say, hey, I don't want anybody to use my cash card right now. This is something you do on the cash card that uh, that you can't really do with a lot of other products. So unlike a credit card, there are no fees ever, and the credit check isn't required to get one. We are not using the other apps anymore. Don't even know their names. So visit the App Store or Google Play to download the cash app now and get your fresh cash card today. Excuse me, your free cash card. It is fresh as well. You can customize it. Uh, okay. Hope you freaks enjoy this episode with Alex. I know I did. Tales from the Crypt. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Bent here on a Tuesday night back in the studio at dig.com offices. Uh, it's been a while since I've been in here. I've been, been locked up in my studio. My wife kicked, kicked us out of there, though. Uh, I'm really excited for tonight's conversation. We're going to go beyond Bitcoin and get into some privacy coins. Uh, I want to introduce you freaks to Alex Legal. How's it going? Uh, welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate you for coming out, coming all the way to Brooklyn. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. And thanks for being so patient. Uh, you freaks don't know this, but it just took me about 25 minutes to get uh, the SD card uh, <laughs> cleared and into the mic. Um, but here we are. Uh, Alex, you're in town. You stopped by. Uh, before we dive into what you've been working on most recently, for you freaks that don't know, uh, Alex, are you managing partner? Uh, yeah, managing, managing partner, partner, or better, founder, CEO, I yeah, guess. Yeah, founder, CEO uh, at Layer One Capital, which is based in San Fran, uh, recently raised fund with uh, Peter Thiel was involved, as well as... Um, Jeff Tarrant, a couple great angels as well. Yeah. Really pumped about our investors. Yeah. And you guys are uh, a cryptocurrency investment company. Mm-hmm. Uh, activist cryptocurrency investment yeah. company. Excuse me. Uh, you've done hedge funds and tech firms in the past. Yeah. You're grin bull. Yeah. But, I'm really excited about that, too. But, but how the hell did you get into all this? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. So... Um, to backtrack, grew up in Munich, Germany. Um, shout out to that. Anybody who's listening uh, who might be German. 
Um, hallo, wie geht's? <lacht> Servus. And uh, moved to uh, California for university, went to Stanford. Um, there I studied applied math and philosophy. And during my time there, I actually started a quant fund called Bessel Capital, which traded um, index volatility derivatives, so options, uh, futures, ETFs, ETNs. Basically, um, got my first uh, foot in the door in the space in terms of what does it mean to manage a daily P&L? What does it mean to be involved in uh, traditional asset markets? Uh, what does it mean to deal with LPs? Um, we're institutionally funded. After that, I worked at Stanford Management Company, the Stanford Endowment Fund. 25 billion was uh, actually the first undergrad they ever had. And oh yeah. Yeah, after that, uh, it seems like they started a great program, really pumped about that. Um, I think that's really important for an endowment fund who effectively, you know, has a mandate of improving the financial well-being of the school while also making sensible investments to integrate current and, and former students as fast as possible. Um, that's really important. After that, uh, I went more towards the tech angle, actually, um, you know, shifting my focus from finance to technology, started a company called Apex Labs. Um, shout out to my former teammates. Uh, effectively, that was uh, a company that wanted to become a volunteer for tax agencies, which is actually the diametric opposite of what my focus is nowadays. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're trying to seize money, now you're working on unseizable money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically, you know, uh, cathartic event, going from the dark side to the, to the good side. Um, from the from the good guys to the uh, from the bad guys to the good guys, um, working with tax agencies, running um, artificial intelligence technology in order to structure, unify their data, and then you know effectively better allow them to better understand how tax fraud occurs. Mm -hmm. And then in the meantime, um, I think I got my first real solid understanding of Bitcoin in 2013. Um, ran a small ar my electricity uh, arbitrage play in Stanford because electricity is free in your student dorm. So, <laughs> you know, um, you know, very, very small mining op, just making a couple couple Bitcoins. Um, was it Bitcoin or? It was only Bitcoin. Yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Is you kind of allowed to say that? <laughs> yeah, you can curse it. All right. Good, good. Um, and, um, you know, reflecting back on sort of my path, which has always been oscillating between finance and tech, um, and then realizing that cryptocurrencies lie at precisely that intersection, right? Exactly where financial markets meet technology markets. And retrospectively, my background, you know, for better or for worse, was always at that intersection. So I came to the realization that it was just the ideal fit for me. Mm -hmm. And it's really where I see myself going forward in the future and maybe forever. Um, just because um, there is this whole industry that's just developing and emerging and it's going to develop in ways that we can't even predict or foresee. And uh, it's incredibly exciting that all of a sudden you find something that you really resonate with on a very deep level, on an intellectual level, philosophical level, um, psychological level. Yeah, so you said philosophical level. You studied philosophy in college. I did. Uh, do you think that helped lead you to Bitcoin? or I actually think um, it might have been more important than studying math. I think specifically in thinking or trying to think um, rigorously 
and trying to really come from first principles in deducing how to put all the different pieces together, right? Mm -hmm. we're, we're dealing with something that nobody really knows what they're doing. Everybody's really trying to understand and emulate others and, 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 and the, the system and the industry. And right, there's no valuation framework that exists. There's no sort of established rules or infrastructure. Everybody's engaging in this massive multiplayer game in real time and you know, people are taking directional bets and we'll see how that works out. I think there's better bets you can take, there's worse text, uh, bets you can take. Mm -hmm. um, but the interesting thing is you really have to create a coherent framework personally in order to really systematize all of the stuff that's going on. And for that reason, I think philosophy really helped me because the main you know, uh, sort of objective of philosophy is just to think critically and rigorously about things. Right. So basically what you want to do is list a couple of premises, you know, whatever your argument rests upon and then draw a reasonable conclusion and that's it. And then you can just repeat and, you know, rinse and repeat and, 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 and do the same playbook all over again. And all that really matters is just that you can come to the core truth of something and then everything else falls into place. Yeah. Um, you're providing a perfect segue for me. Uh, your, your paper that you wrote with Hasu, uh, where you basically approached uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies from first principles perspective yep. and deduce that uh, the only token worth investing in by the end of the paper we come to find is uh, a store value token that's censorship resistant and yep. is probably enabling legal or uh, frowned upon activities. Yeah, and, and the, the whole idea that sort of inspired this essay or this paper was trying to understand how economic value accrual is actually justified, mm -hmm. right? These frameworks are well established for traditional asset classes. For stocks, you have discounted cash flow statements. For credit, you have others. Um, for currencies, you have you know sort of fiat currencies. You have some other forms. All of a sudden, you're tasked with understanding and creating a framework for something entirely novel. And in the meantime, it's entirely in flux, right? Every, all of the parameters are changing. Nobody really knows what the end game is going to be. So the objective was to create this valuation framework, at least as a guiding principle towards better understanding how can I rigorously defend value accrual for a specific coin and the conclusion was quite simple, which is for any coin, the only thing that really matters is the removal of an outstanding supply in terms of improving the price. And that's only possible if it functions as a competitively superior store of value. Mm -hmm. And then you're additionally faced just with the overall, I guess, end game that all of these currencies abstract away any of the fragmentation that is produced in fiat currencies and with with that you're left with a winner takes most or winner takes all market and um that is really going to be in my opinion the you know sort of the correct way of thinking about how value can even flow and accrue in 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 this industry mm -hmm. yeah so how long did it take you to Come to this conclusion, do you think? Uh, All my life. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, um, it was definitely an iterative process. Yeah. Um, sort of that, you know, takes 
perhaps even years to manifest itself and really understanding the material at an increasing level of depth. Um, specifically also just because I always had crypto in the back of my mind, but I never you know, professionally engaged it within it in the sense of having a business and you know, actually making investment management decisions. And then so over the summertime, I started thinking about how can I, you know, also just create value for, for the space. You know, if that's crypto Twitter, if that's telegrams or whatnot, the people that I talk with and my friends, um, there's a lot of discussions going on, but I felt what was missing was just a very rigorous, clear understanding of what are the premises that you should assume from first principles and then what is the actual conclusion that you can logically draw. Yeah. And I think uh, it's been a good product of this bear market as a lot of people in particular are uh, sort of consolidating the pitch, I would say. I actually wrote about it today. In the yeah. uh, basically sharpening the pitch and, and making it so that it's easier to understand, more direct to the point. And it's funny, like you said, like crypto, Twitter, Telegram, many people are contributing from different areas like Dan Held's yeah. uh, seri- four-part series on, awesome. on Bitcoin species and Bitcoin season and all of that. Um, like what you and Hasu wrote, what Nick Carter has been writing, what yep. or iterative capital, iterative oh. capital, their tome that they wrote, their tome that behemoth, <laughs> yeah, 104 page white paper. <laughs> it was more of like a, a manifesto yep. or something like that. Um, it was really good, but, uh, that the bear market has allowed people to sort of, all right, sit back and think, why are we in this? And to prepare for the next bull market, how are we going to, because we are charged with marketing this, I would guess. Yep. Like, I don't even uh, know how you would say it because there's no central authority saying, here's how we market it. Here's yep. all. It's all people bouncing ideas off each other and uh, destroying FUD, like uh, deflationary currencies, yep. the mining FUD, uh, distribution FUD, whatever it may be. It seems like people are sort of going down the list of, of the tropes that mainstream media and other naysayers like to throw at Bitcoin yep. and... and, and handily trying to d- destroy FUD piece by piece, yeah. which has been good to see. Um, so hopefully during the next bull run, there will be a more wise investment. <laughs> do you see it getting as crazy as it did last year? Um, I, I do think, you know, sort of the groundwork is being set for it to be a more mature bull market going forward, right? You have sort of the fidelity announcements, you have like backed, you have, you know, the Goldman Sachs of the world getting established. You have really sort of, key infrastructure players getting involved, thinking very smartly about how to stratify this entire industry. Mm. And I would say that the last one was basically everybody, it was very retail focused. And for that reason, also less mature or Mm. less, well, you know, I guess structured. And um, it's interesting because you definitely just cannot look towards past cycles and try and project it on towards future ones. I think the task is really better understanding what is the fundament being laid currently and it's heavily skewed towards inter institutionals. And that's also how it's going to play out, which is right. They're going to run a much tighter ship. Well, significantly better organized. And, you know, for that reason, probably also returns how they're distributed over multiple assets are going to be m- way more concentrated um, because of better capital uh, allocations, high leverage amongst the players, uh, generally also, you know, hopefully <laughs> what you were addressing, right? Better valuation frameworks, um, better right. ways that people are able to think about where value uh, sh- even has a chance of accruing in the first place. Yeah. And uh, 
probably some proper due diligence will enter the space as well. It won't just be <laughs> Bitcoin talk forum, people scouring and believing anonymous devs and stuff like that. I yeah, know. exactly. That's I why, think like, from working at a fund, I was an analyst as well, and you realize that the due diligence that goes into the back end, especially if you're like a fund to fund or something yeah. like that, the compliance that you need to follow uh, is uh, extraneous. Yeah. Extraneous? Is that is that the right word? I don't know. Could be. You really have to be pedantic, I guess, right? for, for yeah. due diligence. Um, it's not going to be the Wild West any longer, uh-huh. which is a good thing. Like, I, I feel like a lot of people are disappointed that perhaps, you know, some of that, I guess, ethos will be lost going forward. But from a, you know, 30,000 foot perspective, it's probably what's necessary just to achieve the next step. Yeah. So speaking of the next step, what do you think it is? Do you think... Uh what do you think pushes Bitcoin to the fore? Is it a geopolitical situation, uh, a global financial crisis? Uh, it seems like the the trade war that we are uh, enacting on China is beginning. I mean, uh, with a combination of other things that China has uh, bestowed upon itself is beginning to to show cracks in China's economy in particular. Yeah. Growth is beginning to slow there. Um, there's a lot of weird things happening around the world, Latin America, Turkey, Iran, wherever it may be, a lot of places uh, where Bitcoin can help out. Um, is it ready for that stage, do you think? Um, you know, I think it's like very easy to romanticize Bitcoin right. into being this savior against all corrupt governments of the world and, you know, sort of being the instant and final remedy against all these problems i don't think it's ready yet um i think I this agree. whole institutional s- intermediary step is is imperative for mm-hmm. it to to be so in future um you know i can put my finger in the air and, and and come up with a number of how many years i think in the future it could have a chance of competing against you know what is effectively sort of the final bosses right if that's the u.s or china or whatnot that's going to be 10 or 20 years somewhere in that time frame. Yeah. Um, I think for the next step, if a financial crisis were to occur, Bitcoin is still a risk on asset. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think it's still highly speculative. I think once there is a solvency risk issue with uh, you know, prominent central bank, I think then something like Bitcoin could be interesting. However, it seems like a you know, 20 Sigma event yeah in terms of probability that i i just cannot fathom that it would actually be the case in future i think if there's going to be an equity downturn bitcoin is likely going to follow just because it's you know basically leveraged risk exposure for most of these uh managers yeah um i was speaking with jack mallers last week and we were just laughing at like how bush league uh bitcoin and all coin exchanges are compared to like your crazy your run-of-the-mill like flash boys uh exchanges where the uh the traders will get as close to the exchange as possible so their fiber optic cords with like laser lights can get their trades in as quickly as possible and crypto uh exchanges are using like node.js to send (laughs) trades via api api calls and stuff like that yeah it's crazy Uh, i mean i still had i mean you know these are all exceptionally smart people but basically them on their laptop at home running Statar, you know, models in which they just arbitraged on different crypto exchanges and made a lot of money, which just the, just alone that that actually is still an opportunity for these guys is, mm-hmm. is the prime example and, and even proof that we're just a far way uh, away from, 
you know, it being on the same level as, as traditional asset classes. Yeah, no, I would agree. Um, but that's the, uh, that's a tough thing for, especially for people that are like really into big, like a lot of people want it to happen really quick. And that's one yep. thing I've been pontificating upon, uh, here and in the bent in particular, the last couple months is we're not going to get everything out of the box at once. Uh, it's people who expect this technology and, like you said, it's more about like first principles, and I would argue like this is more of a psychological movement at the end of the day because we're changing money, so you have to like change minds at the end of the day, and this yep. is like changing the psychology of the masses. It's going to take a while. Yeah. Um, so we're ten years past the white paper. Do you think we're you became enthralled around 2013? Are we ahead or behind where where you probably thought we would be back then? Well, assuming I'm. Uh you know, just turned 26, um, five years ago, I was 21. So probably a lot more naive about my <laughs> outlook. <laughs> you know, I thought I would personally be able to conquer the world back then and more so even probably Bitcoin. Right. Um, so I do think my outlook has matured a lot since. No, it's um, funny how, uh, it's <laughs> funny how that happens. I was, uh, I was sure as uh, we're around the same time as, as I was an analyst, I was sure the economies <laughs> of the world and the currencies were going to, we're going to melt down within yep. the next like three years. And now it's like, all right, you little asshole you were uh, you were <laughs> jumping the gun a little bit there yeah i thought yeah i mean i was you know still talking about bush leagues man like back in the day when i was trying to sort of play around with you know sort of my quant fund and then directional investing you know sort of more long term and then coming to the conclusion that this is all you know sh- shit's about to hit the wall uh, hit the fan um, also me and english idioms sometimes i just screw them up <laughs> <laughs> You know, being being German, um, and um, you know, back then I thought, wow, like, you know, all of a sudden you have a type of money which effectively cannot be influenced by a single sovereign or entity anywhere, right? And and for me, it also had a little bit of like a personal background story. Like, my grandfather lived in Bohemia during the Second World War. Oh, had to flee when he was uh, 16, um, basically was out of school and, you know, away from his family for two or three years. And then with the end of the war was effectively left with nothing. Right? Mm-hmm. And that was purely a function of, you know, something akin to Bitcoin not being there for him. All of a sudden he had to lose his financial wealth, his assets, his family's assets, and so forth. He was left having to complete high school the last two years with 19. You know, I mean, his path was, you know, one of extraordinary success thereafter. But I spent a lot of time after coming across Bitcoin reflecting on how would have, how would life have been different for him mm-hmm. given the opportunity that it presents to people currently, right? Which is, you know, s- a way of storing as a value or wealth in a way that cannot be influenced by any form of government or entity. You can securely store it from a technological perspective. It's portable. It's divisible. Um, you can go with it across borders. You can even save it in your brain. If you just memorize the private keys, right? That's mm-hmm. absolutely insane to run a brain wallet, right? Going around naked with millions of dollars. In <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, you know, got money on my mind. Right? Literally, literally, right? literally. Oh dude. Oh, I've been listening to a lot of Kanye. Um, 
uh, Life of Pablo, the one line, I forget what song it is, but he's like, I got treasures in my mind. Oh, I um, love it. Yeah. But I always, I'm such a Bitcoin fucking nerd. I think of treasure, T-R-E-Z-O-R. <laughs> I got treasures in my mind. Man, my phone autocorrects to all the Bitcoin lingo nowadays all of a sudden. It's real bad. I always got to backpedal and it's like, oh no, that's not what I meant actually. Decentralized is not what I meant. I was talking about. I don't know, distilling or I don't know, whatever. It was a decent football play. I swear I'm watching. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, no, it's funny. uh, And that's actually one thing I read about today in an article. It's like uh, with everything going on in the world, like like you just describe your grandfather's story and uh, what would have happened if it was a bit with Bitcoin was available back then. Like it is available now, which like begs the question, like, do you think our generation, because it is really, I would argue, our generation leading this charge in particular, do you think we're going to take advantage of it? Do you think uh, Do you think this is sort of a once in a very long while opportunity yeah. to, to change the world for? I hope so. I do think, though, the actual action of taking advantage of it is, you know, going to take some time. Mm-hmm. Usually, I guess actions are interpreted as something that happens very quickly, right? In, in the sense of like a physical action, and then I guess expanding that or multiplying that to however many people um, conduct that action. But I think embracing and emulating a Bitcoin ethos is as much of an action of taking advantage of, you know, the optionality that it provides as if I actually store wealth in bitcoin and am able to evade government sanctions or something like that going forward um the latter being you know perhaps not as commonplace as it could or should be but on the other hand circling back to the whole infrastructure development it's purely a function of that right i think you know easily in in africa or you know if if you want to say like the the sort of reductio ad absurdum would be why doesn't Zimbabwe just go all Bitcoin? Because they don't have any infrastructure yet, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then I guess you're faced sort of with adverse selection, which is the people that are sort of most likely to emu- emulate the mindset are the ones that live in the U.S. or live in Europe. They don't they don't need to worry right now about being debased by their government to a level that is you know happening in Zimbabwe or in Venezuela or, or whatnot. Um, so you know, basically putting into the context of my grandfather would and projecting it onto 2018 what's the country closest to eastern europe nowadays um, as it was in the second world war and then if you i guess go to the extreme and put it equal to zimbabwe or venezuela where clearly the infrastructure doesn't yet exist to an extent where the the people are truly able to take advantage of it perhaps he might not have been able to take advantage of bitcoin if it existed then but um i think there's just because there's been a proliferation of wealth in in especially in the bitcoin community of early adopters and because of the bitcoin ethos people are very altruistic in mm-hmm. their ambitions um that they're laying the groundwork so that hopefully in the near future these types of people in Venezuela or whatnot do have the opportunity to take advantage of it. And um, from a capital allocation perspective, they will um, very likely will have the option to do so hopefully in the next five years. Yeah. And that's what I wrote down while you were talking, there was optionality and 
the option wasn't there before. So is it, do you think it like I, this is what I believe. I believe it's just like a matter of time, but like this optionality has, didn't exist 10 years ago. And, and there really wasn't any other option other than maybe gold. If you wanted to, to hedge personally, but you weren't probably ever going to be able to spend it anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you're doing like an peer to peer OTC trade or something like that. Um, the optionality that exists now, like to me, it's like obvious, right? This is a better option. It's just like the, it's going to be a matter of time before people realize that. And I, yeah. what I think we're at a point right now is where people don't realize there is optionality and there, there are other options. And that's like the, the part of the cycle that we're in is we're trying to, like we were talking about yeah. earlier, make everybody aware of the optionality. Yeah. And that's why I love bear markets. You know, <laughs> right. Cause uh, all of a sudden people are less focused with the price and marketing and, you know, making the money and they can focus on what truly matters. Critically education is one of the core pillars of, of that. Right. And, 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 you know, sort of people being aware of the optionality and then moreover having, you know, the ability to take advantage of it is purely a function of education and being aware of, of what they have. And, you know, like you said, we're going through this checklist, this bucket list of what are the things that we want to crank out in terms of maturing this industry, increasing um, the audience and so forth. And, you know, of course, it's easy to criticize the choices people make in terms of what their priorities are or not. But if you really put it into the context of the last 10 years, the graph has really been going upwards and to the right. Um, right. And I think that's incredible. Yeah. I'm a big believer in the hardest price movement for Bitcoin was from zero to $1. Like as soon as that happened, uh, I just started a, a cascading effect that'll, that'll be inevitable over, uh, over a long period of time. Um, but yeah, like it has gone up and to the right. Like yeah. people, people shitting on Bitcoin or so the year it's had, like it was only above where it is now for like 40 days, 50 days, maybe yep. that, or yeah, probably, uh, yeah, because we, we dipped down, we went up to like 11 K then we dipped down back to like eight. Yeah. So we were probably actually above like 60 to 65 days. We were above where we are now. Yeah. I'm totally making this number up, but it's somewhere around there. I think the ballpark is generally yeah. right. In the long scheme of things <laughs> out of 10 years, that's such a minuscule yeah. uh, percentage of the total lifespan. Um, but yeah, the and then even the numbers of like what people like how many people own Bitcoin, you know, it's not even just the fact that people actually decided to exchange, you know, other money they worked extremely hard for their entire life and said, hey, I'm going to put it into this asset that maybe I don't even fully understand. Um, I mean, that's incredible. We're talking of like tens of millions of Bitcoin owners at this point. You know, like I was able to to tell my mom what Bitcoin is and she's fully aware and she owns some even right now. Right. And she's really, you know, bullish on it. Alex, I'm letting you into my personal life here. You can see a picture of me and my wife here. Look at what our friend texted us this morning. I love it. First $50. Let's go. Bitcoin purchase on Cash <laughs> App. Hoddle. I love it. This is a 20 or a 30 year old woman who's buying Bitcoin. $50 every paycheck now. That's awesome. Realizes it's the bear market. Not the most technically capable yeah. woman I know, but... Uh, <laughs> she's in that's fantastic right uh but and that's like where i've been getting a lot i've been getting a lot of my friends who are like always like our arm's length around bitcoin like ah, oh, it's interesting i should probably learn about it at some point and uh more recently more people have been been reaching out like hey 
I'm thinking about this more seriously now. And that's like uh, Murad's been on this podcast and saying we're going to be in a two-year bear market. And I'm just like, ah, I don't uh, – it's like so hard to call. Yeah. I think people are becoming more comfortable with it. Yeah. Uh, it's becoming more normalized in pop culture as well. Like yeah. I was taking the train last week. It's the third time you freaks are going to hear the story on this podcast. But I don't think Alex has heard it. Last week, Halloween – trick-or-treating in Hoboken come back to take the train back to Brooklyn waiting on the platform and they have like a TV with like NBC which is one of the biggest corporations Mm -hmm. in the world they have like the news items of the day and it was 10 year anniversary of the white paper and it was like one of the three news items Uh, so to think that was going to happen like 2013 like that would never happen Uh, like back then but now it's becoming more and more normal it's big getting dropped in rap songs be getting referenced to movies yep. and, uh, the meme is spreading right and becoming established it's probably not even a meme any longer it's just a fact of life currently right uh, blocks are being produced every 10 minutes nobody's stopping it yeah and you know for people I think it was still significantly more a toy or something surreal or even alien while the price was so incredibly volatile and high right because that for them signaled irrationality and signaled gambling and signaled you know basically casino now you have something which still exists and is blossoming from an infrastructure perspective despite right i mean bitcoin is what down 65 percent from the all-time high roughly like that and even then people are getting the headlines left and right every single day of what awesome stuff is being developed and i think once they start to reconcile their previous notions of bitcoin as something that is mainly for gambling with all the real development from a rational perspective that you can understand as such, they're going to start embracing it. Even if just them accepting it as something that has a right to exist Mm -hmm. and something that justifies a value proposition, not even, you know, if they own it or buy it or whatnot, but it's actually a thing that has its place in the world. And it's a fact of life that Bitcoin is, Right? It's not Bitcoin is something, it's just Bitcoin is. Bitcoin is, and that is enough. Our friend Beautyon likes to uh, expound <laughs> that message in the world. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, I didn't know he said that, but that's that's actually really nice. Yeah. Right? Bitcoin is, and that is enough. Yeah. But the right to exist, I, I'm happy you said that. Like, is like, And that's uh, another ongoing question I typically have with other Bitcoiners. Like, We imagine there will be a point where governments, uh, especially governments that are threatened by Bitcoin, attack the network. But do you think there will ever be, like, is there a threshold where, as a society, we can say, hey, this has a right to exist and we have a human right to uh, utilize this technology? Have we passed it? Uh, if not, is it close? Or maybe yeah. it, does, it exi- does it not exist? Um, that's a tough one. I think that's as much a function of, you know, how current government agencies are thinking about Bitcoin as is how much power do the people have of actually influencing governmental decisions? Okay. Um, I think I can only speak for the former, less so of the latter, just because frankly, I'm not that knowledgeable on the US sort of government system, politics, et cetera. Rather think- You're lucky. (laughs) (laughs) I'm also not that educated on the German one. (laughs) You know, I had a big- uh, Big announcement, uh, Merkel stepping down from the Christian Democratic yeah, Party, Yeah, ruffled right? some feathers recently, yeah. yeah. Um, but, I mean, you know, talking about Europe in terms of late adopters, they're still, you know, I still, I go back home and it's significantly less well-established than in the U.S. I think on, on 
every previous technological cycle, if that's cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, or before that, you know, mobile apps, or before that, AI, or or just the internet in and of itself, you know, the U.S. is, is predominantly the leader, and you know, Europe definitely has a multi-year lag. Uh, but speaking of, you know, sort of how, you know, does does Bitcoin have a right to exist in terms of meeting a final boss and, and then even standing a chance of survival. On one hand, I want to say it has sufficiently permeated society in a way that just the notion of Bitcoin will exist forever and that, you know, the ethos that is sparked of something, you know, demarcating money from state, right? All of a sudden you can conceptualize, it has completely turned on the notion of money on its head, right? All this before I it would not even say it turned the notion of money on its head. It has uh, incepted the idea of money in people's head. Yeah. It has people thinking about money, whereas yeah. they never did think about money. They were just born into the system and they just started running. They were like, oh, that's money. It works. Yeah. This is money. What are you talking about? They don't, it just works. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. Um, great. I, I, you know, also sort of, I, I guess I try to sort of read a lot of economic and, and technological history mm-hmm. and you always romanticize about what would have been what if, what would have been like to be around for you know the time of the steam revolution or manufacturing revolution electricity revolution and so forth and all of these revolutions completely disrupted things that we just took for granted as a fact of life mm-hmm. right and now all of a sudden we're entering an age where the concept of money as we were used to it for the past, you know, let's say like the hundred years, years, you know, however many generations suffice in order to spend that time horizon, you know, is completely turned on its head in the sense of what is truly money. And the, that's why crypto is like drawing everybody in from all different types of backgrounds, right? Because money touches everything in our life. Right. And you know, if that's, computer science, politics, economics, finance, uh, arts, music, and so forth. M- money, you know, <laughs> money makes the world go around, right? Um, and for that reason, cryptocurrencies are so incredibly fascinating because they hold something for everybody. And the notion of money applies to everybody. So um, in, in this case, we actually now have the opportunity to participate in a technological revolution, which is completely changing our understanding of what money is and then also how we will apply it going forward in future. Right. Uh, you made me think of, uh, an incredible urban artisan tweet that came out, uh, over the weekend, which was, uh, Bitcoin is a Gordian knot of interlocking incentives. Yeah. Um, that's a great one. It just draw like as soon, like again, like as soon as it went from, zero to one dollar as soon as value was imbued on the network in some way like boom started yeah. off the 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 uh cascading effect of all right miners can see okay there's a little value there maybe i'll spend some electricity to start mining and uh you know what hey i'm gonna liquidate it create markets and slowly but surely over time we're here and we're at a point where i would argue bitcoin has bootstrapped itself and in its incentive network to a point where we might be locked into this motherfucker forever. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it might be, you know, in escape velocity already. Right, exactly. Um, and we just don't realize it. Uh, and that's, um, 
No, there was a especially in the bear market is also making people like fight with each other. So like Bitcoin maximalists going after each other, all coiners, Bitcoiners snapping at each other's feet. A big debate and uh, side Telegram channel of like if all coins are healthy for the overall ecosystem. Um, just from a competition standpoint, I think everybody would agree that, yeah. uh, uh, or not everybody would agree. I would agree that I think alts drive a, a healthy amount of competition. I do not agree with all of them, but um, yeah. something like Litecoin proving that Segway could work and basically proving the way is okay. Uh, what uh, Monero just hard forked to yep. uh, put it bulletproofs. Um, yeah, I don't. For- I don't buy the argument that decentralization. Uh, is equal to altcoins existing. No. I don't think that's the case. I don't think the ecosystem is decentralized as I think was like a big debate on Twitter a couple of weeks ago or what that whatever um, of, you know, if the ecosystem really wants to be decentralized, then altcoins need to exist. I think from a sort of crypto Darwinian perspective, it's it's even not only important, but a requirement, a necessity for altcoins to exist to just have, you know, constant pressure on top of Bitcoin and let's call them like premium altcoins mm-hmm. um, in order for, you know, like inertia is, you know, the enemy of everyone, right? And anything. So as, as long as altcoins exist, they will create competitive pressure towards Bitcoin in a way that will lead to an improvement of Bitcoin on whatever dimension that may be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think just alone for that reason, and that reason has so many you know multifaceted consequences. Um, altcoins should exist. Um, I do think that inertia would be probably can be reduced to the main reason of what could kill Bitcoin going forward. If you imagine all altcoins would just go away tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I think that would be terrible for Bitcoin. It's just have all eyes on it. The yep. eyes are on solely locked on it yep. at all times. Um, yeah, so that's like altcoins also provide like some some cover for Bitcoin as it confuses regulators and everybody else trying to figure <laughs> out what's too, legitimate yeah. and what's not. It's like a, so it's a safety by confusion maybe, uh, which could work out in the long run. I mean, Bitcoin has proven like through all these cycles, boom and bust cycles, probably been four or five up to this point, uh, Bitcoin has remained number one, and while the top ten altcoins have cycled pretty pretty consistently. Uh, yeah, I also think from a regulation perspective, right? Like, you know, short-term gratification is the key objective of politicians. So if they're faced with Bitcoin versus low-hanging fruit of who they can go after, then, you know, probably altcoins, to your point, um, can actually you know, I guess uh, be an intermediary between Bitcoin and regulators and just allow for Bitcoin to develop and, and be safeguarded by them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, putting it back to the Gordian knot, it's all about incentives, right? right. And political incentives are mostly short term. And uh, if as a politician, you can establish yourself very quickly regulating something on short term that is a low hanging fruit, very easy to go after versus the the big guy right bitcoin i think you'd rather choose that option yeah definitely um no and i would argue like it is like with these technical upgrades too with like bulletproof somewhat grins knowing what mimble wimble yep. um it's gonna be important to see those play out in the wild see hey maybe we should we uh implement them in the bitcoin um might not be possible for all these implement or all these solutions but yep. um 
interesting to see like what could be potentially um, or what you should strive for. So let's just use this opportunity to drive straight into grin. <laughs> yeah. What? Uh, so for you, uh, my audience probably doesn't know. I mean, actually, you guys are well educated out there. I'm going to give you free some credit. I'm sure a lot of you know what grin is, but uh, for those who might not know what grin is, I'll give the high level. It is the first implementation of Mimblewimble, mm-hmm. which is a highly uh, private cryptocurrency implementation. Correct. Yep, that's precisely correct. All right. Um, so, Grin is interesting because, and obviously that's a point of contention amongst proponents of multiple privacy-focused coins. Generally, its objective is to provide a more scalable solution as a privacy coin than existing alternatives, mm-hmm. right? Um, I mean, Zcash, you know, is doing well now with having sapling and, and whatnot, but, you know, a little bit TBD on, on executional risk and whatnot. Monero just integrated bulletproofs. However, if you project, um, you know, what would performance be like uh, with significantly more usage, it has different constraints. Um, Grin is effectively a self-truncating blockchain, which means that um, all the transactions are summed into one and sort of one big block, and that allows for a lot more um, cutting away of what does not matter in terms of how blocks are constituted, and, and, and it calls itself uh, cut through in this case. And um, it's it's more so even interesting, you know, besides sort of the technological aspect of it, sort of the ethos, the genesis of, of Grin, which frankly is as close to Bitcoin as you can get, right? Um, an anonymous anonymous entity person, he, she, um, dropped this white paper. They called themselves Tom Evels Juidor mm-hmm. or Jezidor, the French name for Tom Riddle from Harry Potter. <laughs> really? Mimblewimble is actually the tongue-tying spell from Harry Potter, and Grin is short for Gringotts, the wizarding bank. This is very interesting. I never knew this. Everything, you know, sort of if if the flippening is uh, Grin surpassing Monero's market cap, maybe then the flappening is Grin surpassing J.K. Rowling's net worth. (laughs) 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 That's hilarious. (laughs) I never knew that. That Yeah. Yeah. It's all in the spirit of of Harry Potter for whatever reason. And then, so Mimblewimble came out by Tom Ellis Jezidor. And uh, that was, I think, on, on Bitcoin Talk or I think that forum dropped it there. All of a sudden, people started implementing um, a currency called Grin, which is the implementation of uh, the Mimblewimble protocol led by an anonymous uh, core dev called uh, Igno Peverell. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's fascinating because there's no pre-sale, no ICO, no pre-mine or anything it's a purely decentralized volunteer-driven development effort by people that are just so ideologically driven about creating something, which, you know, frankly, is just, if you objectively think about it, very economically irrational in, in, in contrast to, you know, sort of I, what, what leads people to create ICOs or, or actual sort of equity-based companies because these people are not going to get, uh, you know, financial payoff or compensated yeah. by it. Um, and... You know, for that reason, it already resonates very heavily with a lot of people because it actually sort of has the core elements of what a true cryptocurrency should aspire to. And then secondly, I think the notion of privacy 
is something, and you know, you mentioned that earlier of altcoin pressure. Are these things that Bitcoin should implement or not? You know, a lot of people are of the opinion that just total fungibility, total privacy for Bitcoin is just not achievable, and that's fine, right? It has well, different ambitions. Well, somebody say well, it's not achievable, and then others would say it's not worthwhile at the protocol level because then you want to be able to track inflation uh, in some cases with some upgrades. Yeah, I mean, you can still track it with privacy coins. Um, like with, well, with Bulletproofs in particular, correct? Like you, there might be a it situation. Might be, it might be different for Bulletproofs. Yeah, yeah, I have to look into that. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. But, you know, so if, I think the idea, and then also circling back to the valuation framework, I think really sort of fungibility privacy is something that at least in its current state, Bitcoin cannot encroach upon from a addressable market perspective. And that privacy coins that have all other sort of serendipitous features into place can really carve out their own percentage of the store value market and, and really have a shot at even justifying their own existence and their survival in light of this juggernaut that is, that is Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's jump into a couple questions about Gren. Number one, no, no cap, right? Straight. Yes. It's, uh, it's one, one grin per second, one grin per second, one yep. minute block. So 60 per block. Exactly. Um, there's no plans to cap the supply. No. How do you expect this network to accrue value or this token? Excuse me. Well, you know, empirically inflation for the first four years is similar to bitcoins or Monero's for the first four years and value clearly occurred, um, accrued. I mean, in, in, in that time frame for those networks, I think what's really important mostly is transparency of monetary policy, less so, um, you know, what is the specification of that monetary policy? What really matters is, do I know how many Bitcoin there will be at X, you know, point in future? Will I know how many grin there will be on January 31st, 2025? Mm-hmm. That's what matters. Um, I think then there's sort of arguments you can make both ways about how does that actually influence sort of low level um, participants in that network of how they allocate wealth and store wealth in that network. Yeah. So how like Bitcoin's uh, marketing, like we were talking earlier as a deflationary currency where you yeah. know that you can store your wealth and not have it, uh, eaten, your purchasing power eaten away over time. How, how can we expect this with grin? Well, you know, it's inflation rate is also relatively deflationary, mm-hmm. even though there's a t- fixed tail emission for the rest of time. From a percentage oh, perspective, it so will decrease so and there, be deflationary. Are there block rewards or there are, are block rewards and, and transaction rewards? I mean block reward halvings, excuse me. Uh no, they're not. But what I mean, right, is let's say, you know, if there's a hundred grand today and it's gonna be a hundred grand more tomorrow, that's gonna be a hundred percent increase versus mm-hmm. if there's a million grand and then there's gonna be another hundred grand by tomorrow, right? As a percentage of the total existing grand, it's the minuscule. inflation rate is gonna be minuscule. Yeah. Oh. At that point. It's interesting. Um. So what Grin has not officially launched yet, has it? Is it launching? No, prospectively somewhere around the beginning of next year. Yeah. And so, all right, I don't know. Where do I want to start? So one, where do you see Grin fitting in? Uh, is it complementary to Bitcoin? Is it directly competitive? Uh, do you see it overtaking Bitcoin? Uh, and then two, how are you looking to take advantage of this launch yeah. if, if you're so willing to speak about it? Um, yeah, sure. Um, I don't think it's going to be 
a big competitor to Bitcoin. And there's multiple reasons for that, right? Bitcoin mm-hmm. has been around for 10 years. Grin even has to launch. Um, Bitcoin has an enormous market cap, developers, network effects, and so forth. It's just, and, you know, I know some people that would disagree, um, like Murad, um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> shout out to you. Um, you know, it, it's not fungible and there's always going to be a market for people that want a decentralized Swiss bank account versus, you know, a very transparent payments network that you can obscure through multiple layer two solutions. However, you know, my opinion is that if faced with the decision between something that guarantees privacy versus something that might have good enough privacy, you're probably going to choose the latter. Of course, that's contingent upon other dimensions being satisfied. Like, is there enough market depth and liquidity? Is it stable enough in value? Is there a great engineering team substantiating the development and what's so forth? But for Grin, it actually checks most of those buckets, right? It has like provably great tech. Um, it has ideologically driven people it has no scammy way of profiting from a pre-mine or pre-sale or ico anything that even incurs sort of regulation risk it has an anonymous founder which i think is incredibly important for privacy focused um, currency Mm -hmm. even if that's you know many years away where there might be repercussions um towards privacy coins just eliminating that risk from the start is the greatest thing that you can do and very much in the spirit of Satoshi Nakamoto. Yeah. Um, and then for us, you know, we, we, we're seriously considering how can we add to it? How can we help Grin going forward in, in terms of growing into its value proposition, into its potential? And then how can we support the network from a you know hash rate perspective from the start? How can we find a way in order to get many people involved as soon as possible from the very outset, how to get Grin into as many hands as possible. Um, One of my partners, Casey, has a great idea of making Grin Sharia compliant. (laughs) (laughs) So that might actually be an interesting avenue. But uh, Bitcoin's, um, I think, yes or no. Yeah, I think it is. It's Um, halal. I think it is halal, yeah. Yeah. Um, Next step is Grin. Uh, (laughs) Making that as well happen. Um, But... You know, for us, I think we do want to have exposure as soon as possible. I, um, you know, of course, I can't really talk about the specifications of such, but we think about it as a multifaceted effort to support the network from a actual sort of computing power perspective. How do we, how much electricity, how much sort of dollars do we burn in order to su- support this this uh, this network? And then additionally, how can we think about creating tech that is for the best of grin and expanding its addressable market and just, you know, does awesome stuff, right? If that's on a custody side, if that's on a asset exchange side, if that's layer two solutions, um, I think there's a lot of very interesting avenues of how as an individual entity that is not the central entity, you know, right? That's a significant difference can really add towards growing something in a very proactive, super additive even uh, manner, right? And um, we really want to help grow this into its potential and effectively be the dark silver to Bitcoin's gold. The dark silver. I think that's hilarious. Um, so you guys solely grim focused? Are you doing any like Bitcoin investments, Bitcoin infrastructure investments or anything like that? Or? It's outside the scope of the, f- the company. Mm-hmm. Um you know, we think of very ourselves as taking very concentrated bets 
also thinking about how can we you know differentiate ourselves well i think so we all personally hold bitcoin and you know maybe as a fund it would make sense but since we have very focused approaches towards things outside of bitcoin where bitcoin is effectively sort of the the watermark of the entire industry mm -hmm. um it lies outside of our scope currently no it's interesting this is uh obviously a bitcoin focused podcast and on what you would consider a maximalist at the end of the day but it is interesting to see how something similar to bitcoin might launch and uh how people are interested in it. that's yeah. like so that's the thing i'm interested in. are you worried about like so there's only so many mental resources that can focus on these technologies. Are you worried about spreading those too thin across too many projects or? Yeah, maybe. I like mean, so isn't Andrew Palestra? Palestra. Uh, Palestra. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's the author of, uh, I think, well, he was the first guy who reviewed the Mimblewimble white mm -hmm. paper when it dropped. Yeah. He also actually corrected critical mistakes. Mm -hmm. um, so he kind of made it into what it is right now. Um, you know, he's been involved in the sense of things like confidential assets. Um, how would that look like on a minimal minimal, uh, level specifically also, I guess, under the, the purview of, uh, liquidity and, you know, block streams, um, product. Otherwise, yeah, you really see sort of Bitcoin OGs being incredibly excited about Grin. It's really the first currency, the first altcoin that really resonates to people just because of all these features, right? That make it very similar to bitcoin in, in in nearly all dimensions yeah yeah it's interesting because that's uh it's one of the theories that i strongly believe in is that like i know you don't think grin's gonna flip in bitcoin but or maybe you do i don't uh, but if it were to does that create like a crisis of confidence in the whole concept of a cryptocurrency because like if grin yeah. can overtake bitcoin uh uh, what's the sub something from overtaking grid? Yeah, I was thinking about that a while back in the sense of, you know, it's important for Bitcoin always to be in the front seat because if it ever does get usurped as an investor, that's a binary event, right? All of a sudden, what you thought was the store of value in the crypto world has been replaced by something else. So what prohibits you then from thinking that the f successor is going to be displaced by something else yet again mm -hmm. so effectively that creates, creates this sort of crescendo of discounts that you have to apply to each of these assets and frankly it's kind of like a, a russian doll game where all of a sudden you're left with something you know that is an asymptote to zero right um so that actually is sort of has this weird game theoretic conclusion or sort of uh, i guess effect on the crypto space where everybody's incentivized to keep bitcoin at number one because if that is no longer the case everything falls to apart right. right everything everything is based on bitcoin being number one if that's no longer the case all of a sudden people are left with complete disbelief in, in anything that should be its successor or does succeed it well that's that's where i think it's important to de-alienate between that scenario which i completely agree if, if something with bitcoin was uh producing blocks every 10 minutes and didn't have any major congestion or critical bugs that brought about its demise but it was just a pure flipping of people picking uh a next shinier coin over bitcoin yep. um those are two different scenarios like where bitcoin has a critical bug 
um, which is possible. We yeah. found that out well, three, two months ago. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't think that is a death that I don't think that would mark a uh, like a death knell in the space as much as a flipping would actually. Yep. So there's some nuance to it in my brain at least. Um, yeah, I think it's really important to you know distinguish between the two. Yeah. Um. Oh, it's interesting. No, grin is like grin. People have been talking about mimble wimble and grin. Like like you said, like the smartest, most pure uh, cypherpunks have been talking yep. about grin for a while. So I'm excited to see it in the wild, and most particularly, like hopefully, if it is successful, like. Maybe we'll be able to pull some features into Bitcoin down the road. Who knows? Yeah, that would be awesome. I mean, originally started out people thinking that it should be a, just a side chain to Bitcoin. Yeah, why didn't they do, why didn't they do that? Um, you know, because frankly, I don't think people get that excited about side chains. Right? Yeah, right. I think, you know, creating a currency. Don't tell uh, Paul that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> well, I guess, you know, I think, I think. You know, we talked about it earlier, like money touches everything around us. Mm-hmm. Side chains are a subset of a cryptocurrency where cryptocurrency is, you know, sort of isomorphic with money. Side chains are a subset of money. Hence, people are just going to pay less attention to a side chain. Yeah. Um, a cryptocurrency has all the features that gets a lot more participants involved, right? If that's mining, I mean, if it's proof of work, which you know is the real deal only thing worthwhile um if that's custody if that's developers if that's owners if that's consumers and spenders um it just has an you know orders of magnitude larger opportunity set for people to engage in than you know anything that is just frankly a subset yeah um it's uh it's fascinating let's pivot here I got a tweet up. You tweeted it hours ago. And I found it fascinating. <laughs> Cryptocurrencies are the first bridge between religion and science. Yeah. What the hell are you talking about, man? <laughs> <laughs> Without sounding too laconic, and I think somebody accused me of being a Plato or something like that. Um, I like that. I would take that as a compliment. Um, hopefully. No, that's That's nice. Um, I mean, effectively, right, it's, it's this weird combination of qualitative belief in a store of value, which, you know, has qualitative factors like immutability, like, um, you know, monetary policy, like the quality of engineers working on it, the brain trust behind Bitcoin, um, the fact that it has a fair launch versus an ICO, right? Those are sort of you know, it's like politics. It's sort of like qualitative statements to make for why you think something is superior to the other. Mm-hmm. And then that's akin to religion, right? It's a it's a belief system in something that you cannot sign, you know, quantitatively justify. And then cryptocurrencies, that belief is met with a scientific rigor when it comes to the technological implementation, when it comes to, um, you know, transaction throughput, custody security cryptography in general i truly think that money is the intersection of both and for that reason cryptocurrency is as well yeah it's um <coughs> no that's one thing we like to do here is get cosmic uh 
And that's what I, I read about last week. Like, we're talking about the Gordian knot. This is a symbiotic relationship between technology and flesh. Uh, and then you can get heady with it. Like, Bitcoin is helping us discover, like, some weird things about it. Like, help me learn. Like, I've said this many times on this podcast. Bitcoin is going to change us more than we change it over time. Yeah. Because it changes your time preference. It changes like the that. way you look at the world. Um, <clears throat> and... I don't want to get too heady here, but like your threat, like it, it merges religion and science. Like it is making us think very hard in a scientific, in a scientific endeavor, like the crunching data, like thinking about like what might be best for society. And then at the same time, it only works because of the religious, like you, like you've been describing, uh, inception and immaculate conception that has sort of created this lore and, Yep. a roar around it which is uh yeah and you have apostles right you know if, if that was raising know, my hand here you right if that's people like beauty on or, or even winston casiris who a lot yeah. of people in silicon valley have to thank for their bitcoin investment i'm not one of the t- top 12 apostles you know i'm probably like one of like the late la- later stragglers but uh no it, it has an evangelist uh out my, that's why this podcast fucking exists like yep. um you have sects you know right very yeah sex within like uh bitcoin cash god bless them they're going yeah. through some things right now <laughs> they're still around uh scientology of bitcoin huh? <laughs> right um now it's funny that they think people care about them ah, i don't want to shit on bitcoin cash too much but six percent of hash power of shot 256 hash power like uh yeah the market has spoken uh um, i think so too yeah so we'll we'll see how that drama plays out next yeah. week. It'll be yeah, fun. but you know, like the interesting thing is, I really believe that you have a you have a belief system resting on ideological practices that all of a sudden is equally matched with technological implementation of it, which is purely a function of scientific labor, right? Also speaking about proof of work offline physical commodities meeting an online digital asset. It's it's a combination of both. And I think that when people project the future, you know, you can look at sort of what the people think where we'll be in 2018, 100 years ago. They were making up crazy things, right? And spaceships and whatnot, entirely novel things. And I think the beauty of like what Bitcoin did was combine well-known things in a novel way. And that's also on a high level what cryptocurrencies do. They, they, it combines well-known qualitative principles with scientific implementation and rigor and, and applications in a way that we've never seen before. And the result of that is that our understanding of money, what it is, what it means, what it will be going forward is, is, is completely changed. Yeah. For for those of us who are bought in, especially um, up to this point, yes, it's definitely changed for me. Uh, and just like that's so that's the thing that goes running through my mind, circles day through day through day. Uh, can everybody? Uh, that's too pompous of a framing. Um, <laughs> Go do, for it. Do enough people care? Like, is is apathy too much of a thing right now? Like, that's. That's what I think Bitcoin's biggest enemy right now is apathy of the masses where yep. they don't even know they should care. I think a lot more work has to be done. Yeah. I think, you know, people talk about how strong networks effect are. Um, I think they can unravel just as quickly. Right. And interesting. Why? 
Well, you know, it has to be well established. Um, I think most of these, you know, if you think about what a network effect is, it's basically just like exponential growth. And uh, if it's not on solid bedrock, then that growth can actually turn into reduction at an equally, f- you know, equally steep slope. Mm-hmm. And uh, I could definitely see a world where if apathy just takes place and no resources are deployed in a way that spreads the word and educates people on Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, it can just fizzle out. Right. I think we're nowhere near beyond that point in time. I think we're making great strides towards making sure it does at some point, but my opinion is that we're not there yet. No, I would completely agree. As, like I said, it scares the shit out of me. Like apathy yeah. could really destroy this real, real quickly. Yeah, uh, it's frightening. Yeah, um, and other than my friend uh, who, who we read her text earlier, but a lot of the people I talk to don't give a shit. They're like, yeah, yeah I don't care. I still laugh. Some, some are turning, but... Um, and it's like, that's what I wonder. Like, is there's a need to be a cataclysmic event in the traditional markets mm. that, that sort of draws people to, to have an awakening and a, an aha moment to, to not be apathetic. I don't anymore. even think so. Right. You right. know, we mentioned the idea that all of a sudden Bitcoin has been as a meme, as an entity, as a thing established in the world. And it's become very convenient for people to justify holding Bitcoin or speaking about it, right? A couple of years ago, it was like everybody was sneaky sneaks about it, more or less, in the public, yeah. right? Sneaky you sneaks. I like that. It's a nice little German translation. They're sneaky sneaks. I like that. <laughs> you know, people didn't <laughs> people didn't really talk about Bitcoin with their families it, as much. It wasn't a thing. It was still this weird sort of drug dealer, you know, criminal currency. Now people can openly talk about it in public. It's very easy for them to transition to it as just a topic of conversation. And I don't think that people need a cathartic, like, I don't think the late adopters, what, you know, I guess from a statistical perspective will be the majority of people will need a cathartic experience in order to start embracing and purchasing and owning Bitcoin or using it as a money. I think actually the opposite, which is we have to make it as convenient and frictionless as possible for them to actually make that step because they're lazy as fuck. Quite frankly, right? Um, people are super lazy, and you know, talking about apathy, like you know, sort of path of least resistance. You're always rather going to go with what's the easier path than what's the harder path. And the hard path right now is buying and owning and and using Securing Bitcoin. And, yeah, right. And we want to make it as convenient as possible, so they don't even have to think about it. You basically want brainless people to do a brainless thing, which is own Bitcoin and use it as a money. And at some point, likely that will be the case. But we do have a lot of work ahead of us. Yeah, and that's why I'm excited to see Lightning a year in, uh, apps being built, people experimenting, and hack days being blown up around the world uh, with people excited to, to build, uh, making it Lightning Network, having made it made, made it easy to build. Um, but yeah, I do think we are far away from having Bitcoin and cryptocurrency at a point where people don't even realize they're using it. Um, Maybe the Cash App has opened my eyes a little bit. It's like using their Bitcoin buying functionalities and how their boost program works. Like I can see yep. them working it in some way where people don't even realize they're using it, but they're benefiting yep. um, at the app level. But then obviously key custody and having true custody of your Bitcoin and making that UX impeccable is, yep. uh, is I th- the, the yeah. uh, holy grail. 
Yeah, I think, and maybe I'm biased because of sort of being having a more finance background, um, working in hedge funds and sort of like capital allocators. That's why I like Fidelity, et cetera, going into the space and, and building out great products because I want to see 401ks go into Bitcoin. I want to see people embracing Bitcoin as something that you obviously have in your portfolio, right? People thought that a 60-40 stock bond allocation is just the norm. That's the way things are. I want to see that, you know, integrate. I don't know if that's 50-40-10% Bitcoin. I want to see that happen going forward. And I think once you just have things like this occur in daily lives and people just start taking that for granted. And I think people assimilate pretty quickly to these types of things, especially in a world with you know, increasing velocity of information exchange through technology, right? Through social networks, through mobile phones, through the internet. Um, I also think that things can establish themselves at a significantly faster pace than they did 10, 20 years ago. So that end game is up for grabs for Bitcoin, right? It's, it's, it's for it in order to establish itself in such a sufficient way that people don't have to think twice about owning it and integrating it into its uh, wealth management. Yeah, well, thank you for bringing this up because this is what I wrote about today too is describe Bitcoin as the currency for the common man. Uh, this has been a uh, something we've been building on the last like three podcasts here, uh, me and several guests. So Bitcoin as the currency for the common man. Uh, so uh, to make it simple, you're basically alienating between the deflationary and inflationary monetary system where in the inflationary system to save your purchasing power throughout time what you need to do is go invest in stocks bonds mutual funds uh, you can't just park your money in a savings account or inflation will eat away at that purchasing power and to keep up with that purchasing power hopefully increase it over time as you prepare for retirement whatever it may be uh, you have to go invest in stocks bonds uh, mutual funds whatever it may be and it takes extra research, extra money paying an advisor, whatever it may be. Uh, and it's a, it's, it's a heavy lift, especially for the common man who's typically got a pretty grueling nine to five family to raise yep. uh, and little disposable income outside of what he's willing to save. Um, so if Bitcoin were to take over, maybe these portfolio decisions were, would be a little easier if you know that you're yep. investing in a deflationary uh, currency where your stake of the total pie is pretty constant. You can prove via code um, where in that, just that fact alone where you can store your purchasing power throughout time. And I'm using purchasing power particularly here yep. because uh, a lot of people get confused with like price value and purchasing yep. power. Um, that is That creates a base from which people uh, who have to go... Uh, preserve their their wealth via investing these days this makes it easier for them to climb the economic ladder because they have to think less and they can just have certainty knowing that if they are good savers and uh, frugal enough they they will save their value over time and they don't have to go into all that uh, over investment shit yeah i think you're you're you know addressing the the core forcing function that drives people into multi-asset allocations right which is just to you know, keep pace with uh, reduction in purchasing power. Right. And if you remove that core cause, right, that 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 
that ultimate reason for why you're making these decisions, everything changes and none of that is necessary anymore. And I can't even fathom what the repercussions of that would be. Right. Yeah. That's what I'm that's like. That's what is like starting the dawn on me this week. Like this week in particular, first two days of the event and the conversations that I had last week on the podcast, like it's really been like, holy shit. Like it may be this simple of a framing to have like to have people come to an aha moment a lot quicker. And that's like what I'm becoming more convinced of by the hour, by the second now yeah. after that, uh, that reaction from you is like, this may be the best framing. Like, yeah. Hey, right now, Joe Schmo down the street, if you want to save your money, your purchasing power over time, you cannot put your money in your savings account. You have to go be active in the markets. You have to do research. You have to figure out, learn how to do a DCF flow or a dollar yeah. a discounted cash dis- flow. Discounted cash flow, excuse me. Um, and learn about EBITDA multiples and like what's fucking palatable yeah. as an investment and then actually sign up on a brokerage account and make individual stock or mutual fund or ETF investments. Yeah. Imagine not having to do that. And, and interestingly, right, that's whole like Vanguard's business, right, is effectively saying or mutual like ETFs, uh, index funds, etc. their whole business is, look, you're not going to make any alpha picking stocks yourself. Why don't you just use us to invest in a basket of stocks? But even that can be reduced to an even simpler proposition, which is you're going to invest in Bitcoin and all of the above doesn't even matter anymore because you're only investing with Vanguard, not only because, okay, maybe you're not a good stock allocator, but frankly, all you want to do is just not lose the value of wealth, right? right. You maybe even want to increase it, right? But Bitcoin abstracts away even that reason for using a Vanguard, which is your purchasing power will not be debased over time because of its nature. And uh, that is just, I guess, diametrically opposite to any of those, you know, I guess, archaic business models. Right. And I want to make it clear that I'm not negging on investment practices. I think people should be able to invest and should invest in yep. these products if absolutely if they have to be. But we have to de-alienate between investing and saving here, uh, where right now people are have to invest because they are unable to save their purchasing power throughout time. A Bitcoin world would uh, work change that where you would not have to invest to maintain purchasing power. Exactly. You could yeah. invest for uh, added benefit to your portfolio. Yeah. And, you know, frankly, if it's outside your circle of competence, you don't have to make the decision towards trying to keep pace with and, you know, your lack of purchasing power or even trying to make money. You're rather going to likely lose money. Right. So you completely get rid of that problem altogether. It's, it's no longer a fact of life. It's actually an artificial and problem imposed by the way things just kind of turn out to be, right? The, 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 the alien conclusion of centuries of economic development completely eradicated by a novel technology. And it was just fucking dropped on a forum out of nowhere on Halloween 10 years ago. It's crazy. Yeah. We're here fucking on a podcast talking about it. <laughs> like, how crazy is it that, like, it has driven us humans this crazy? Unbelievable. Right? That's like, and we're getting drunk. I'm drunk, at least. I've been chugging way faster than you have. <laughs> gotta keep up here. No, you do not. Do not. I gotta, I gotta slow down. Um, but it's like, holy shit. Like, what if maybe it could be an alien technology where, like, the aliens are just looking down at us or, like, hey, these idiots just need... <laughs> 
this one thing to coordinate and how are they this slow <laughs> right why aren't they way more ahead of where they are currently it's figured out how to, how to make a email address and get into the cypherpunk uh mailing list that just dropped it on us it's uh that's a fantasy i like to uh to uh appease every once in a while <laughs> Probably not. Highly, highly, highly. Unbothered. Or maybe Bitcoin is just the ultimate artificial intelligence. You know, that's right? maybe the other the well, other interpretation you could take. Did you see we were pretty... Uh, Harvard basically confirmed that we found aliens? I did not see that, no. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a, an object floating through our solar system mm-hmm. around Saturn, I believe, in particular. And a team of Harvard researchers are pretty certain that is an extraterrestrial uh, vehicle. That's fascinating. So aliens are here. I'm a big alien guy. Big fan. Well, of then aliens. it's only one step away from believing that they accepted Bitcoin, huh? <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Where are we here? <laughs> right, we're only one twenty in. What else do you want to get on? What uh, What interests you outside of Bitcoin? What'd you do growing up? What did I do growing up? So I grew up in. You're in tall. Munich. You're a lot I'm taller tall. than I was expecting. <laughs> did you row? Uh, I was actually a walk-on at Stanford. I didn't enjoy it very much for crew. Uh, uh, for crew, yeah. yeah. Um, you yeah. have you have a I I I knew you did crew just somehow. You have, <laughs> you have the fucking perfect like crew body. That's uh, funny. Yeah. Um, I guess tall enough, and you know, if if you have. Sorry, sort of, I'm fawning over you. Right <laughs> no, if you have, you know, I guess if you're somewhat athletic, you know, they kind of like trying to recruit you. Yeah. For, I I think you know I never really did crew before Stanford, and then. I didn't enjoy it as much, but I did have a lot of important takeaways. And quite frankly, you know, one of the most important being, and that has been a life lesson, is that you can't just, as in any other sport, sub yourself out. Mm-hmm. Once you're on the, on the water, once you're, you know, in the boat with your colleagues, with your teammates, you can't just throw, you know, you can't just say, screw this, I'm not going to row anymore. I'm just going to throw my paddle on the water. Mm-hmm. Because that fucks up everything for everybody else. Yeah. Right? It, it literally halts the boat. If you play soccer or football or basketball, you can sub yourself out. Right? You can just pretend to be hurt. You can say, coach, I don't want to play any longer. With throwing, you have to pull through to the last second and give it everything you got because there's just extremely concave payoff, like, you know, sort of repercussions, which is, or it, it might even be binary, which is you stop, everybody else has to stop. Mm-hmm. Any other sport, you leaving, you stopping your input will not as so much influence the outcome of anybody else. Yeah. And, you know, even though my time on this team was short because, frankly, I didn't get recruited. That wasn't, like, the main reason I came to Stanford. I had other interests. Um, that really sort of imprinted itself on me and sort of how I think about teams, how I think about um, organizations and, and, and how you really work together in a super additive manner, which is, everybody has to pull through because the repercussions of a single party not doing so can even cause a binary event, which is sort of termination of everybody else's outcome. Yeah. Affect the whole, um, yeah. that was, I was a lacrosse player and our big, uh, excuse me, our coaches, uh, biggest theme was you're only as strong as your weakest link. So everybody from the, the best D one recruit to the last man on the bench had to, have their job down pat uh, yep. whether it be a practice player uh that's critical putting the water in whatever it may be uh you're as strong as your weakest link everybody has to be on the same page and held, hold, 
it builds self-accountability, which I yep. think is huge. Uh, Absolutely. And maybe lacking in this world to a certain extent. Yeah. I think even, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, sort of like a softer form is just, I do believe that physical exercise or at least the attempt to be healthy, eat clean, you know, exercise or do sports, at least whatever is sort of the realm of your possibilities is not only important, but it's a signal, right? It's a signal to everybody else that you take yourself seriously because the health repercussions are very obvious and, you know, are detrimental. And if if you don't take your body seriously, your mind will suffer, right? They're intrinsically... This is so mind. true. One thing I've been doing more recently... I've been a big bike guy recently. You freaks know that. Uh, but hopping on the bike, I've been doing like 20-mile bike rides in an hour and that's impressive you do it you do it you do it you put like a youtube video on you find like a you find like an hour podcast yeah like over the weekend i listen to stefan lavera's second shout out to this podcast with uh samurai wallet uh one of the the heads of the samurai wallet not the dev but uh the business guy uh and the idea guy but uh i feel like when you're exercising and listening to like you're a little bit more intent and you're trying to distract yourself from like yeah. the pain of exercising so you're you're uh listening a little bit better and a little bit more focused and then after that like that's actually one of my favorite times to like get work done is like uh luxury working from home and having a gym in the apartment building able to work and then get up and that's when i get most of my work done is like the hour two hours right after my workout yeah i'm significantly more happy and productive if i do physical exercise 100 percent. yeah and then otherwise like you know Music has always been a big element of my life. I played oh. a lot of piano. I DJed at Stanford, which was a good time. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to bring the you know, the European that? German house and techno to to the to the West Coast. <laughs> what was that like? Uh, at least a lot of friction, and I feel like people got used to it. I just kind of like did my thing, and then eventually people got it, you know. And 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 at some point, like you know, I th- and it, I think there was an there was an audience at. The end. Was there booth thotties by the end? <laughs> <laughs> no comment. <laughs> uh, I'll take that as a maybe. <laughs> uh. No, but you know, I think it's important to have different interests, right? You know, quite frankly, I think yesterday, uh, lately, my my life has been very much revolving around work. I think it's, you know. People say life is a marathon, not a sprint. I think sometimes you have to sprint in order to be able to run a marathon. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, you, that actually reminds me of another one of my favorite quotes from lacrosse. Like, to get fast, you have to run fast. Yeah. To get fast, you have to run fast. That's like a simple, that like sounds like, what the hell do you mean? But it's simple but profound. Like, yeah. You literally have to try to run fast exactly. to get fast. Like, people think, oh, this is like tautological, like this is like super obvious. But, you know frankly the older i'm getting like the more aphorisms grow on me and like the more all of these sort of statements hold a lot of value and you just have to put into work to to really sort of get to where you want to be and you know like i guess over time you sort of converge upon what your main passions and interests are currently it's just full-on work mode this is all i think about this is what i dream about this is what i want to achieve this is what i want the team i work with to achieve going forward and build something that can really grow into its potential. And there's a beauty in that, right? Because it's purely super additive. Like the, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And that's incredible. If you have the opportunity to actually see different elements of what constitute a company 
come together and then all of a sudden it, it actually is right it's existing and there's value and, and people endowed with value there's no better feeling than being on a successful team or yeah co- part of a successful company that just crushes it like yeah. and you realize in retrospect that it would not have worked out that way unless everybody was fully bought in and holding yeah. themselves accountable it's incredibly gratifying right yeah. um and then once you find a group that like you just are on the same wavelength yeah. and you're like fully aligned you don't even have to say it you just know it yeah uh, there's no feeling like it and it's very it's, it's rare it's rare it speaks for you know humans just being social animals like right? if you're on the same wavelength with anybody nothing else compares because things just click and things are seamless and frictionless and they just go the way they're supposed to and you're in the flow and good things come from the flow yeah i think that's a great place to end that good things come from the flow yeah Big fan of the flow. Alex, it's been a pleasure, man. Thank you, Marty. Thank you for coming by. Likewise, thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. I really appreciate it. You have any uh, parting note for the freaks? Um, buy Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one. That's a good one. Um, that's all we have this week, freaks. Peace and love. Thank you very much. Okay.